All right. We good? Got your refreshments? Um, so this is it. This is the last week of our, of our content series. Um, I'm a little nervous to say this because I'm scared that y'all might be like, we hated it. But I have loved this series. Have you, have you gotten something out of this little trip through the book of Jude? It's been, okay, two of you. Fantastic. That was wonderful. Wow. So for the, the other uh, 98% of you in the room who apparently don't remember anything, let me give you the quick recap, right? Week one, we talked about how the faith is worth the fight. Now, this is through the book of Jude. It's a one-chapter book. There's a couple of those, by the way, in the New Testament. So if you ever want to um, sound like you're really flying through the Bible, you can pick, like, uh, I think there's four or five one-chapter books. You can read those in the New Testament and just tell your friends, man, I read five books in the Bible today. You don't have to tell them which ones. They'll just be like, wow, that's amazing. Five chapters, but still. Um, this one, uh, in the first, in the week one, we, we talked about verses one through four, just how the faith is worth the fight. I told you in that week that the, this book is like an alarm clock, right? It's not a pretty, calm alarm clock. It's like, get up, right? Like there, we got to be, we got to wake up, be ready to contend. We've got to contend for the faith. We contend for the faith, not about the faith, right? So uh, if you're on social media and you're watching church people, man, there's a lot of contending about stuff, but we're supposed to unify and contend for the faith. Week two, um, Jason Fibs did a phenomenal job handling a really tough passage about false teachers. And he talked to us about how we should contend with false teachers. What I love that he said was his big idea was don't, be, don't believe you can't be deceived, right? So sometimes we look at this and go, oh, that's some bad people get deceived. No, we all can be, like, look at the person next to you. They, they could be deceived, and, and they're thinking the same thing about you. Like, it's all of us. We have got to keep our guard up. Right, and Jude keeps saying, man, contend, keep your guard up because of false teachers. Last week, Amy um, talked to us about contending for others, contending for one another. Um, I love that she said the call is to you, prepare and rescue, right? So we talked about preparing ourselves so that we can rescue other people. Today we're going to wrap it up, um, the last two verses of Jude. Uh, this is... I don't know how many of you were raised in like a traditional church. I think the fancy word would be liturgical church, but I was. I was raised Methodist, and so at the end of every service, we had something called a benediction, right? And so it was usually the same benediction, and so, um, or you might have been, you might have been raised singing something that my mom, my mom loved, the doxology, right? So uh, this, these two verses are possibly the most beautiful doxology benediction at the end of any letter in the New Testament. They're amazing. So two verses today that we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I need you to watch a quick movie clip. So here we go. Jarvis, I'm coming down. Harrison, you're flying. Marcus, rig me a rope. Hand it over. Take it over. Be ready to cut. Rock that. Don't 
So I'm not sure what you felt during that clip, but from the girl's perspective, it's the longest two minutes of her life, right? Um, I mean, I watched, I get a little sweaty palms, uh, just, and then I realized, wait, it's going to be okay, because The Rock is going to go get her, right? The minute you saw it was The Rock, you're like, it's good, it's going to be fine, right? That's, that's a perfect clip for the two verses that we're going to look at today, okay? So Jude, find that in your Bible, either on your app or in your Bible, uh, it's the second to last book of the entire Bible. So if you don't know quite, quite where Jude is, you go to the last book, which is Revelation, and hang a left, one book, and then you're there. Okay, so Jude, the last two verses, verses 24 and 25. Here we go. They'll be on the screens for you as well. I'm going to read today from the English Standard Version. And here's what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Somebody say amen. Amen. Four points. Four things that I want you to get. So I love how Jude uses that first word, now. So he's wrapping up the entire letter, right? And if, it's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like to have been the hearers for the first time. But if you were in a, in a synagogue, in a temple, maybe in a house, and you heard this letter read to you, we've done it over four weeks, but they would have done it in one setting, right? So if you think about what they might be feeling, they have heard that there could be false teachers among them. So there's been some of this going on. Mm. I knew I didn't like your Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. Now they've been told that they're supposed to step into the battle and pull other people out, snatch them from the flames, right? And then they heard, now keep yourself pure. They're hearing all these things, and I don't know where you would be, but I would be a little bit overwhelmed with all that I'm being asked to do. And the temptation would be, not that anybody here would do this, the temptation would be to keep it all theoretical. But Jude doesn't give them that option. He says, now. He kind of, here's what he's saying. I know you've heard a lot of stuff, and some of it's overwhelming, and some of it's scary, and you're not quite sure, like, when you should do it, how you should do it. But, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff, and your temptation is going to be just to theorize about it, yeah, if, if that ever happens, I know kind of what to do. But then he goes, let me just grab all of your collective attention and say, now we're going to have to do something. Not later. Now. 
I love that he pulls their attention back into our present. How many of you have been in church long enough to have heard sermons that were really good, but you had no intention of applying them? Or you thought, maybe someday in the future I might need that. I'll put it in my back pocket. But what Jude's talking about, what we've spent the last month talking about is not something to put in your back pocket and save for later. It needs to be used now. He said, now, here's the promise that you have. God is not limited to now. Two verses 24 and 25, I want you to think of this as a sandwich, right? So he begins it with our present reality, now. We live in the now. But he ends it talking about God and his authority, which has been before all time and now and forever. And here's what he's saying. I hope you get this. He's saying that our present reality is grounded in God's eternal reality. You and I only have now. Now, we waste a lot of time and energy and emotion worrying about the past that we can't do anything about and worrying about the future that we don't really have control over. But all that we really have is right now. But not God. I said, but not God. Right? God is not limited to my now. He has an eternal reality. And when we step in to contend for the faith What Jude is saying is now, in your present moment, know this, that God's eternal power is promised to you in your present moment. So whatever you're facing right now, not what you might face, Jude would say, we'll worry about that when we get there because God's faithful and he'll still have power. But right now, as you're thinking about names, of people that you might need to contend for, and you're thinking about teaching that you might need to contend against, in that now, God says, I'm bringing my eternal power. Can you imagine? I mean, unlimited power that has been with God and in God forever. He says, I'm bringing all of that to your now. That's a good word. That's a good way to begin now. Our present reality is grounded in God's eternal reality. He continues, now to him who is able. This promise is grounded in God's power, in his ability and not in ours. Amy said this last week, that we're called to prepare and to rescue, to build, to pray, to keep, and to wait. What I want you to see is that these are things that we are called to do. But so many of us fear failing in the doing. What if, what if I do it just right? What if I mess it up? What if I have a conversation with somebody to contend for the faith and they have better points about what they believe than I do about what I believe? I, I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not, we start sounding like Moses, don't we? And God says, I I know who you are. I made you. And now I'm calling you to step in and contend. I know who you are. Listen, here's the second point. Our inability is strengthened by God's ability. I thought about this song that we we sing. um, We used to sing it a lot. And the tagline goes like this. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. 
My faith may fail, but God, you never will. Our inability, and listen, turn to the person next to you and say, you are unable. <laughs> can, we just, can we just say that right out loud? Like, at least admit it. We are called to a task that's probably a bit bigger than we are, or else we wouldn't need God. So we are facing inabilities. Sometimes we like to pretend like that's not there, but it is. But our inability is strengthened. It's even grounded in God's ability. He is able. And what is he able to do? It says he's able to keep you from stumbling, right? Can we just talk about that, that word stumble in the Greek? It doesn't actually mean what I just did. So stumble might not be the best translation. Falling is. Because what this word means in the Greek is he's able to keep you from falling away. Think back to the clip. We don't know how that girl ended up over a cliff in a car needing the rock. But she ended up there somehow. I'm going to say she's a bad driver. But whatever happened, I would call that a stumble, wouldn't you? So if you use that as a picture of what Jude is saying, sometimes in life we will stumble. We will find ourselves in, in places that we should not have ended up. But did she fall away? No. Because the rock came down and grabbed her after he ripped off the door, right? And said, I've got you. He grabbed a hold of her. She did nothing to save herself from falling. That's the inability that you and I struggle with. Verse 21, Amy had shared this last week. It, it says that we're supposed to keep ourselves, right? And I don't know, keep ourselves safe. I, I don't sometimes have a lot of confidence in myself to keep myself safe. But my inability is strengthened by God's ability. He's able to keep us from stumbling. Just to make sure that you know this is grounded in Scripture, right? Because sometimes we get hung up on don't tell me I'm a failure. Peter was rebuked by Jesus. Fail. Peter denied Jesus. Fail. And we could go on and on and on, but he didn't fall away. Because Jesus is able to keep him from stumbling. A couple verses for you. Just to, I'll read them to you, but you just jot them down. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Established is an intentional Greek word that puts us in place, Right? This is not like me building. <laughs> Come to my house and see the things I've built, right? You don't want to sit on a chair that I build. But he establishes, he places, he intentionally sets. It is God who sets us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And he has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. These are from Scripture. Our God is able. He is able. His ability strengthens our inability. Now, forget Scripture. Let's talk about creation. I love creation. I love to look at things that have been created. Just, and what does Romans say? We know from everything that's created that there's a God who exists. 
We can fight all day long about how we want to ignore it, but we know from creation that this didn't just happen, right? Okay, that's not good. That wasn't a response I was looking for. I was looking for, you got it, man. Come on, keep going, right? Because I'm going to have to get science teachers up here now, right? So we could talk all day long about things and, and creation, but let's just, I'm reading a book right now called Miracles, and, and it's amazing. And here's something I read this, this a couple weeks ago, perfect for this message. He said, let's just talk about eclipses. Y'all know what eclipses are, right? Yeah, so like, you know, uh, the sun appears to block the moon or the moon appears to block the sun or whatever. And here's what the, here's what the man said. He said, in order for eclipses to happen on our planet, the sun and the moon have to appear to be the same size. But they're not. As a matter of fact, the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon. So in order for us to stand on our planet and see an eclipse where it looks like a smaller object is eclipsing a bigger object, they have to appear to be the same size. And if the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, then that means the sun would have to be 400 times farther from the earth than the moon is. Are you with me? The sun is 93 million miles away. The moon, I couldn't memorize that one. It's, the moon is 239,000 miles from the earth. And if you take 93 million and 239,000 and you do the math just right, you divide, multiply, whatever you have to do, you know how far away the moon is, the, the sun is from the, the earth compared to the moon? 389 times farther away, close enough to 400 that when we see an eclipse, it looks like they're the same size. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure this just happened by accident. Really? I'm going to say that God had a better plan. I'm going to say the psalmist is smarter than we are, because here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, and can we just throw the sun in there? which you have set, what? In place. Almost as if God was creating this and said, you know what? Someday, Paul is going to get in a car with his son, Will, and he's going to drive down to Columbia because there's going to be 100% of an eclipse, and they're going to have a moment together. They're going to look up at the, at the sky, and they're going to have to wear these crazy, funky glasses, and they're going to always remember what that looked like, it was amazing. And so I'm going to put the sun here. And I'm going to come over here and get my God tape measure out. And I'm going to put the moon here. And then I'm going to come a little further and I'm going to put the earth here. And there's Paul, there's Paul and Will. Look at that. This is going to be a great moment for them. And I'm, I think, yeah, yeah I've got it. Got it placed just right. Oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. No, I'm pretty sure it was just a big bang. It just happened to end up that way. I'm just telling you that we have a God who placed the heavens where they are. And the word says that the same intentionality that he used to place that, he placed us, sealed us with the Holy Spirit knows your weaknesses in mine, but put us right where we're supposed to be. And I'm just going to contend for this truth, 
that if God can do that with sun, stars, moons, and planets, I think he can do it with me. I think he can hold on to me in such a way that I will not fall away. Verse 4 says this. He says, when I look at the heavens, I see all that. When I see how you set them in place, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Can you just imagine a psalmist going, are you kidding me? You're, you got bigger things on, on your mind. Like you're doing all that stuff. Who am I compared to that? Isn't that the big question? And the amazing answer is God would say, you're somebody that I want. You're somebody that I want to hold on to. I want to keep. I want to keep you from stumbling. I am able even when you're not. Our inability is strengthened by God's ability. The same hand that placed the sun and the moon and the earth knows how to hold on to me. Now, this is not a doctrinal message on eternal security, right? Because you can't do that just like as an add-on to a sermon, right? So you might not have heard of eternal security. You might have heard once saved, always saved, right? Which typically in the South means I went to the altar when I was a kid and I prayed and so I can do anything I want to the rest of my life and I'll still get to heaven. Eh, might want to read scripture. There's something about persevering to the end, right? But I will say this, okay, not a doctrinal, let me just wrap this up. No matter where you stand on the eternal security debate, and let me just tell you that there are people on both sides of that debate that are going to end up in heaven going, <laughs> you made it, right? No matter where you stand, can we just make this statement? It's not a doctrinal statement. It's just all the scriptures that we just read. No matter where you stand, I'm going to say this. You'd have to wiggle pretty hard to get out of the hand of God. He's got a good grip. And we can contend with confidence because he has a good grip. Your worst day does not scare him. Your best day doesn't impress him. He just holds us. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling away, from stumbling, our inability is strengthened by God's ability. So, because he can hold on to us, I can just hear these guys that are listening to the letter read for the first time. They hear that, and here's their response. Sweet! I'm just going to kick back in my recliner and drink tea till Jesus comes. He's got it. God's got it. You've probably heard that expression, and he does. The only problem is, we actually, in this letter, are called to do something. We are called to contend. We are called to prepare. We are called to rescue. We've spent a whole month talking about it. It could not have been any clearer. The fib sandwich has done an amazing job, right? It could not be any clearer. We are called to do something. We can't sit back and just, well, hey, God, you put all the stuff in the universe in place, and so I'll just chill while you take care of all this stuff too. We act like that, but that's not the case. Let me give you the big idea, and then we'll kind of build on it. The big idea, and it's very intentional, says this. You've got this because God's got you. If, you, if we took the last two verses of Jude and put it in our language, that's what I think it's saying. You've got this because God's got you. The big idea is not God's got this. No, God's got you. He called you to get this. There's actually work for us to do. 
When we trust Jesus, when we trust his work on the cross, our sins past, present, and future are wiped away. Can I get an amen to that? That's an easy one. Okay? So you don't have to wonder, like, is that, is that true? Did I just say yes to heresy? No. The work of Jesus on the cross forgave our sins past, present, and future. No doubt about it. No question. Truth in Scripture. But there's also this thing called sanctification, which is a process of becoming more like Jesus. The Bible is full in the New Testament of promises that he is making us become more like his son. That's a process. And can I just uh, newsflash? We have a part to play in that. We have a part to play in the sanctification process. Scriptural proof, because I know you're like, are you sure? I don't know what to say now. Check this out. In our passage, it says that he is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless with great joy. So he has got hands strong enough through the Holy Spirit. He is able to present us someday before God with great joy, which means you and I are going to have a lot of joy because we'll be like, woohoo, we made it, blameless, I'm looking good. But he also has great joy. Our ending brings Jesus great joy. He's able to present us blameless. And so sometimes what we do is we kick back and just let him do his job. But here's a couple verses just to make sure that we're on the same page. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you're taking notes, just write down 15 through 26. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but here we go. Just listen to how much is about us, okay? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the Bible. But avoid irreverent babble. It's in there. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. We'll slip down to um, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... I'm sorry, who was doing the cleansing? Just make sure you're listening. I had to write this, right? This is Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who also wrote about how God is sanctifying us and purifying us, right? But he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work. You just hear the readers going, they're hearing, they're like, how do I do that, right? How do I cleanse myself? Ah, and Paul's like, I'm glad you asked. Here's what he said. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Once saved, always saved. I'm not saying that's ignorant. I'm just saying sometimes the way that we fuss and fight about those things becomes ignorant. Have nothing to do with that, he says. You know that they only breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That's important when we're contending. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's what we're called to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. That he, Jesus, may sanctify her. So he's sanctifying us, having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So he is sanctifying us. And at the same time, we 
are part of the process. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you see that? The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and purifying us from dead works so that we can do works. We have a part to play in this. Last one, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, what I want you to see here is we go either or. I promise you, I have this series that's been in my heart for the longest time, probably like four years, and someday we'll do it. It's going to be called Babies and Bathwater. Because we go, to, we go either or when it's both and. So just check this out. What did Paul just write? I've been crucified, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you're like, see, I told you we don't have to do anything. He sanctifies us. But then Paul says, yeah, but, but now I live, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And so he's like, uh, uh, I think we, we have a part to play in this. Right? What he's saying is because I died with Christ, I can now live for Christ. You've got to get this in Jude. He's saying this, our work, and we do have work to do, our work is possible because of God's work. You and I aren't working for salvation. We're working because he's raised us from the dead and put his spirit in us, sealed us with his spirit, and said, I know that you have inabilities. I know that you're not going to do it perfectly, but you can do this because I've done this. Your work is possible because of my work. That's good news. One last point. Do you remind us that none of us, and and in case you don't know this is true, I'm going to make sure you understand it today. None of us are going to roll into heaven throw our hands up in the air and go, ta-da! I don't know if you knew that. That's not how we're going to walk into heaven, right? Jude's like, listen, you've got work to do. We've got some contending to do. And when we contend well, can we just be honest? Sometimes the temptation is to say things like, I did that really well. I nailed that. I had a conversation, and I had all the answers. But what Jude is saying is when we roll up into heaven, somehow what we did is not really going to matter anymore. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's all stuff that we're going to have a part in. We're going to have a part in that process. I'm so glad I know that you all are the worship team because that was scary. (laughs) To the one and only God, our Savior, which, by the way, that's the only time that he highlights our Savior in the entire letter. Can I tell you what Jude is saying? He's not saying that God is a Savior, or even the Savior. He's saying he's our Savior. To God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, and now and forever. 
Amen. Sometimes we, we forget this. Our glory is lost in God's glory. We are called to do things and we will hopefully do them well. And people might even say things like, great job. And I don't think we have to humbly be like, I think it's okay to say thanks. I could never have done this without Jesus. It's not false humility. Thanks. I did the best I could do, but I couldn't have done the best I did if I hadn't had help from the Lord. So I think sometimes we want to roll into heaven and be like, I made it, but you knew I would, Lord, because you know how good I am. And he'll say, well, I knew you were going to make it. (laughs) I had to jump out of a helicopter a few times and pull you in close. And my rock is better than that rock, right? I knew you were going to make it because I had you. I had a grip on you, and I wasn't going to let you fall away. I think instead of us saying, ta-da, I think our response maybe should be a little bit more like the 24 elders in Revelation 4.10. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Friday night, um, Wendy and Sydney and I and Wendy's mom, we got to go see this new movie called Overcomer. Um, this is a new movie by the Kendrick Brothers, and I'm not going to give it away. I'll just say you should go see it. But there was this one scene towards the end, and as, as I'm watching it, I'm like, man, I wish I could get that clip, but I, I can't get it yet, right? I wish I could get it and show it to you guys because it was the perfect illustration of what we've just talked about today. The main character had, had been through some struggles with, with a family, and, and he had, at, by the end, there was this scene of reconciliation and as you're watching it, you're kind of thinking like, wow, like, if none of this would have happened in this family if this main character hadn't, like, stepped in and done some stuff. But that main character, when he saw the reconciliation and the miracle and what was happening in front of him, all he could do was leave the room and go out in the hall and just weep. And all he could say was, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. His wife even came out and she didn't pat him on the back and go, great job, honey. She just embraced him and she started crying and she kept saying it too. God, you're just so good. What I want you to see is that we do all that we can do. But all that we can do is only possible because of what he did. And when we finally see him in glory... There'll be nothing in us that wants to say, look what I did. It's just going to be like now to you. You were able to keep me from falling. And now you've presented me blameless. I mean, I know me, God. I don't, I did my best, but you presented me blameless before you. You have great joy and you've given me great joy. To you. Be all glory and power, majesty and dominion and authority. Because, God, we both know only you are strong enough to pull this one off. That is how Jude wraps up his letter. Contend. Because the faith is worth the fight. But just know this. While you contend, 
I've got you. And I will bring you through the fight and present you blameless before my Father. Because I can do what you can't.